0: Wesley Levanda, um, the choir always sounds good to me, but wouldn't they sound good this morning? Yeah. Amen. They were letting it roll this morning, kind of getting an upbeat to it. So. All right, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, we'll be in the, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, and we'll look at verse 7 verses in Acts chapter 6. So, so this passage of Scripture, you know, how I feel about the Bible, is every single word Is God's inspired Word. It's God speaking to us through different actions, through different uh, people, and through different times. Every verse and passage of Scripture can be directly uh, applied to our life. And that is the objective when we study the Scriptures: is is to take the Scripture, to meditate on it, to understand what God's trying to say to us about it, and then how do we apply it to our lives. And this passage of Scripture is is very uh, significant to me. Um, and you, part of it, you're going to be saying, well, I'm not sure I know how to apply it, but I want you to hang in there with me until the end of the message. And I'm going to help you understand this passage and how to apply it. Many of you know uh, that I'm in the final phase of my seminary training. and, And I forgot to tell you, if you didn't get my email, the title of the message is the need to be like Jesus, the need to be like Jesus. Being like Jesus is significantly important. Uh, as Christians, that is our objective, but the need to be like Jesus is the title of message, and I want to share that with you, but many of you know that I'm in the final phase of my seminary training, the final phase of my doctoral uh, seminary uh, work. It's been a long journey. Uh, I'm 61. I'll be 62 in March, and, and I'll finally be out of school. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> wow. Finally. Finally. But you know that w- what happens. But let me, let me share a few things with you about my journey. Uh, objective of my seminary project. Two objectives were primarily, I used several objectives in my paper. Um, I submitted my paper yesterday afternoon. It's 187 pages. I wanted to bring it, and you put it on display this morning, but I just thought different about, about that. But anyhow, I have the picture of it, and I certainly can send that to you if you want to see it. But... I did get final approval yesterday from my faculty advisor that I could submit it for final uh, proofreading and, and schedule my oral defense for that. But objectives was to teach and train individuals in Pine Hill Baptist Church specifically, but something that could be used in any church, but to train them to serve deacons the way the Bible indicates that we should serve as deacons. And the second thing was to teach the church the understanding of what the Bible says about deacons, and that's part of what today's message is going to be, because part of my, my project was to make sure the church understood what deacon ministry was going to, to do, all right? And so I submitted that paper yesterday. It's been quite a journey for me. I don't know if you realize that and if those people who have tried to, to ex, uh, expand their, their education know that there's a journey. But there's been a lot of sacrifices made in order for me to reach this part of my journey with the Lord. And it has been one really awesome journey. But a lot of sacrifices have been made. My family has made significant sacrifices sharing the time that I have with them and the focus on my studies. Because I spent a lot of time separated from them studying the, the object that I, that I was trying to understand more. The church, this church, Pine Hill Baptist Church, has been with me the majority of this doctoral study. This is a three-year study, and and, I am, and May will finish the third year. And you have been with me for the better part of two years of that journey. And I have utilized this church to enhance that journey with me. You have made sacrifices along with me, allowing me the opportunity to use members of the church in my seminary project. Some of you have have done the pre-test surveys that I put out. Some of you did the post-test. And even several of you participated in the class That I taught on Sundays in the training of deacons. And so I was able to utilize you from that. My third year project focused on deacon ministry and the roles of the deacon in the church, but mainly what the Bible says about that subject what the Bible says about deacons and deacon ministry. I selected this project because my desire to help men in the church serve as deacons the way scripture indicates that they should serve. Now, prior to God calling me into pastoral ministry, I served many, many years as a deacon. I think I counted up that I had served 28 years as a deacon prior to being called into the pastoral ministry. Now, I served with a lot of men who invested in me. A lot of them were pastors, but a lot of them were other deacons. A lot of them were older men who had served as deacons, but they put a lot of time into me and they vested in me and they helped mold me and to understand what deacons should be. And they helped me to develop a desire to serve God and his people the way I know he wants me to do. And the best way that I know how. Now, the title of tonight's message is to desire to serve. It goes hand in hand with this one this morning because we all have a desire to serve. And I'm not just speaking on deacons at this point now, all right? So it's going to come together in just a second. If everything goes as planned, I will defend my paper within the next month. And I'll graduate on May 10 with a doctoral degree, of pastoral ministry, but I will be 62 when I graduate. I'll be close to getting Medicare. <laughs> huh? I'll be I'll be eligible for social security, all right? But I'll be close. Now, I said it was a long journey, and it's certainly been a long journey. Over the past year, I have spent a significant amount of time studying Scripture that points to how the deacon serves in the church. I've had the opportunity to read many academic and non-academic books, journals, all kinds of things on the subject of deacon ministry, and I have read a lot of things in this area, all referencing the Bible as the source of their information. I never would would uh, read anything That didn't reference the Bible as where they got their information from. Because people can write things about a subject. But it it has to come back to the Bible. All of it comes back to the Bible. Some authors point to Acts chapter 6. Which is the passage we're going to study this morning. As the beginning of deacon ministry. While others say that there's still some questions. That need to be answered around this passage of scripture. In connection with deacons. Now. Many people believe that Acts 6, 1 through 7 points to the beginning of deacon ministry in the early church and therefore continues today. I have preached this passage on two separate evening services during the ordination services of deacons in this church because I lean toward that passage of Scripture. However, this passage of Scripture does not name deacons as the indication of the people that are serving in this passage. It indicates that they are deacons, but it doesn't list the deacon by name, all right? And so that's one of the things I want you to think about. Acts chapter 6 lists seven men who meet specific qualifications and characteristics who serve and meet the needs of the church. Now, personally... I do lean toward this passage of Scripture pointing to the service and responsibilities of deacons in the current modern-day church. I believe it was the, the formation of deacons in the early church. They weren't called deacons, but they were called servants, and that's where deacon comes into play because it's such a similar meaning of the word in the Greek. In the next month, I'll be traveling to Wake Forest to defend my project, my paper, and my personal understanding of what the Bible means to me and what it says about deacon ministry. Now, but when I look hard at this passage of Scripture, it could easily indicate the service responsibility of the everyday Christian. And that's where I want to talk about it this morning. If it could easily indicate that these people who have been chosen to follow Christ as disciples, and now when you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, you become a a follower of Christ, you become a Christian, you're also known as a disciple. You were known as a disciple before you were known as a Christian. It is the same interchangeable word and meaning, and that's what happens when we turn our life over to Jesus Christ. Now, one of the most important functions of the Christian is to be more like Christ. Amen? To be more like Jesus, to be more like Christ. Every single day, as a church, we should be striving to grow our relationship with Jesus. That's not something new that we talk about, but we should be trying to strive to, uh, to be closer to Jesus through our actions, through our words, through everything we do. Now, our objective should be to be like Jesus. And You say, well, Brother Kerry, I can't Be exactly like Jesus because Jesus was perfect. He's the son of God. He was sinless. There's a lot of different things that are about Jesus that I can't meet. I can't measure up to those standings. There's many pressures in our life. There's things that that we have to deal with that maybe Jesus had a little easier time with. Being like Jesus is very difficult. It's hard work being a Christian. Amen. It's hard work. Let me think of it. Being a Christian is hard work. Being a pastor is hard work. Some people say, well, pastors only work one day a week. I'm glad you're laughing at that. <laughs> pastors work seven days a week, and so do Christians. God didn't say... All I want you to serve for me, all I want you to share the gospel one day a week, or two days a week, or seven, six days a week, it's seven days a week. We're Christians, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God's mission and his work does not take a day off, amen? He doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber, he doesn't take a day off. And we'll never be 100% like Jesus Christ, but here's the good news. The Bible says we were made in the image of God, therefore we are capable of walking with Jesus. That's the good news. We'll never be 100% like him, but we're capable of walking with him. The Apostle Paul said this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Basically, what Paul is saying is that if you want to live the life that God created you to live, and you want to live for the purpose that he created you for, then you want to be striving to be like Jesus. If you're able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select among you the seven men of good reputation "...full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them." So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Pray with me, please. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to share a few things with you that are very common, some things that you could relate to about this passage, but I'm quite sure that everybody's familiar with the, the phrase growing pains. Y'all ever heard that before? Growing pains. You're in the medical, you don't have to be in the medical profession to know about growing pains, but as young people grow, their bones get longer. Bone formation takes place. Bone starts laying down. The bone starts stretching. And this process can be a little bit on the the discomforting side. When children say to their parents, my legs hurt, you know, after a long day of playing, my legs hurt. What do the mom and dad usually say? That's just growing pains. It's normal for your legs to hurt. That's part of it. It's just normal. It's normal to, to have those type of pains. Growing pains are not necessarily bad pains, even though they are pain, even though you have to treat them sometimes with a little Tylenol or something. But they're not necessarily bad pains. It simply means that growth is taking place because it's necessary to take place. Now, here we go you got you to understand what this passage is talking about and what we're going to talk about with growing pains and growth taking place. And this whole passage of Scripture has to do with growth that takes place in the early church. Acts 6 says this, tells us that the early church was experiencing growing pains. When you look at it, that's what the church was experiencing. They were having growing pains. it's not a bad thing. So, said, well, Brother Kerry, a growing church is a good thing. Yes, it is a good thing. It's a good thing, but it does not come without certain issues that had to be dealt with. A growing church is a good thing. It indicates that God is moving among his people. Amen? That's what it means. That's what it's showing. It says in the scripture that the numerical growth was taking place. Many people became disciples. And even some priests who had been on the wrong side of the fence, so to speak, became obedient to the word of God. People were becoming followers of Jesus Christ at a rapid pace. And that's what we need at a a rapid pace. The growth created a problem in the early church. There's growth in our church today but it was in the early church. The growth was a problem but it wasn't a bad problem. It was an issue. It was a situation. It was something that needed to be addressed. It was something that needed special attention. Problems in the church give us an opportunity to examine our ministry. When we have difficulty in the church it gives us the opportunity to take a a self-examination to look at what's going on. To look at our ministry aspect. What we're doing Uh, is it aligning up with what God wants us to do? Now listen to this. Time stands still for nobody and the only thing consistent in life is change. Every day is a new day. It's times of success. It's easy for us to maintain the status quo. When it seems to be that we're, we're doing successful, it's easy for us to be a, a Complacent with that and everything's going fine everything's working like it's supposed to be It's easy to be satisfied with the status quo or maintain what we have But let me tell you something the bible says that can be a little dangerous It's not what god intends for us to do that's friday night I want to share something with you that just stuck stuck with me friday night uh, I was watching tv patty was watching tv and I was watching facing the giants you ever watch that that show It's a christian movie All right, Facing the Giants has a lot to do with prayer. There's a lot of prayer inside of it. There's a lot of scripture inside of it. There's a lot of biblical uh, things inside of it. There's pastors in there. There's prayer that takes place. There's a lot of things that point to God. It's a really good movie to watch. It's kind of dated because there's some newer ones out. But the thing is, the pastor used an analogy of something that stuck with me. He was talking about two farmers who both desperately needed rain. Y'all heard this story before? Both farmers desperately needed rain for their crops. Both of them were religious people. Both of them knew God. They knew the word of God. They both prayed for God to send the rain to their crops. But the the analogy said that only one of the farmers went out after the prayer and prepared his his fields for the rain to come. Which one do you think had more faith in Jesus Christ? Well, let me tell you something. That's what we we have to look at if we get complacent with the status quo. Henry Betcher called success a last year's nest from which the birds have flown. That was last year's nest. The birds have already flown from that. Any ministry or organization that thinks that success will go on automatically is heading for failure because it won't. It needs to be nurtured. It needs to be fed. It needs to be adjusted. It needs to be uh, self-evaluated from time to time to make sure we're following what God wants us to do. We must regularly examine our lives and our ministries so that we don't start taking things for granted. That the way, that's the way it's always been. We want to make sure that we adjust the things that we need to adjust to fit the, the outreach that we're living for. The apostles had been called by Jesus to preach and spend time in prayer with Jesus. They had been called to to preach and spend time in prayer with God the Father. That was their mission. That was their purpose. There was only 12 of them, but certainly they were given the the ability to do that. Their primary focus was was to be with the Lord. But service to the Lord and his people continued. There was a need for, for someone else to step in. There was a need for additional workers for the harvest. When you think about it, we talked about that. The, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. That's what is pointing to you. The same scenario is pointing to it here this morning. Service to the Lord and his people continued, and the ministry needs of the early church were more and more than the apostles could handle. People were coming to know the Lord, and that's a good thing. Amen? People were turning their lives over to Jesus. People were becoming Christians. People were becoming followers. They were becoming disciples. And you know what? Disciples that eventually come, we're going to talk about that as well. The people were assuming the role of the disciple. They were Christians. The Bible says the disciple should strive to become what? A disciple should strive to become a disciple what? Maker. Maker. This is a quiz time, all right? We interact in this church, Amen. That's what we want to, we grow in our growth relationship. We want to be a disciple maker. I want to be a, a disciple maker. I want to be somebody who, who shares the word of the Lord. D.L. Moody was quoted saying this, it's better to put 10 men to work than try to do the work of 10 men. Amen got to put people to work that's our objective here it's not about me or the deacons it's about us as a whole it's about our ministry at pine hill baptist church reaching those people that need to hear the word of god church problems are also give us opportunity to exercise our faith in the lord because he's always with us it also gives us an opportunity to exercise our faith toward each other as well as the lord The apostles suggested a solution. They had a solution. They let the church decide. They let the congregation decide. They said, you pick people among you, but they've got to meet these qualifications. They've got to meet these requirements because this is how important this role is. They had some requirements and some qualifications that would take place. These men were set apart for ministry. The church was not afraid to adjust its structure. It wasn't afraid to change what it it, it was going to look like. It knew it had to change because growth was taking place so significantly. We commonly call these men in Acts 6 deacons. That's what we talk about. And I know that when I said men, it's because in Acts 6, these were seven men who were chosen as deacons. And I know that deacons have been referenced to, to females. There's, there's deacon references to that, and that'll be a whole different message I'll preach. But in this particular passage, these were referred to as seven men. All right, The church was not afraid to adjust, but these six men, or these seven men, were commonly referred to as the deacons in, in the early church. Now, service required of the seven men in Acts six is very similar to what the Apostle Paul talks about, deacon qualifications in First Timothy chapter three, verses eight through thirteen. It's it's almost like they mirror the same thing, full of the Holy Spirit, good reputation. These seven men chosen in Acts 6, very similar to the requirements that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy where he calls them deacons. It's very close to the same thing. The word deacon simply means, here it is, servant. In the Greek it's translated to serve. Let me ask you, what do Christians do? Serve. Isn't that amazing? That's exactly what they do. The seven men were had; they were humble servants in the church. We know that Jesus was a humble servant. We know that he's the model example of what we want to be as Christians. We know that he's the example of being Christ-like. He was a humble servant. He served. He said, "I have come not to be served, but to what? To serve." That's what his objective was, and we see that in Acts chapter six. The focus of Acts six five says the word "full," which represents fullness. Or being the fact of being full. Now this talks about being full of who? The Holy Spirit. It's talking about being full of the Holy Spirit. You think about it. When you get into the Word, and you're studying the Word, and you're into prayer, and you're into your time, you're into your quiet time, and you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, that means He's full. He's coming inside of you. He's filling us up. And these men had to display that fullness even before they were were selected. All right? They had to be controlled by God. They had to be led by the Holy Spirit. A servant should also be an individual who has a desire to lead people to Jesus. You think about it. You know, once you become a, a, a new believer, once you become born again, once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, your journey just beginning. All right? Your journey begin to grow. It's just starting to take place. But, but your objective is to become someone who brings somebody along with you. And it's not a pyramid issue. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people coming to know the Lord because that's what he wants to have done for each of our lives. A servant should also be an individual who has a desire to lead people to Jesus and a desire to be like Jesus. And I know we'll never be exactly like him, but that should be it. When people come to know the Lord, they assume the responsibility of being a Christian. And ultimately, being a Christian means sharing the gospel with those people who need to hear. That means stepping out of our comfort zone. That means testimony time occasionally, letting people know what Jesus has done for us. Our desire as Christians should be to lead people to the foot of the cross. Because that's the ultimate sacrifice. To tell them what Jesus Christ did for each of us. To lead them to the cross. To show them the love that God has for us through his son who went to the cross for us. When the church is focused on the task that Jesus charged Christians do, which is making disciples, growth is going to take place. Numerical growth is going to take place. Spiritual growth is going to take place. Physical growth is going to take place. We're going to grow closer to him. We're going to grow numerically. People are going to come to know him. And that's our objective, amen? That's what we want to do. The church has to be unified. The church will be multiplied and magnified. Now, I believe that this passage of Scripture points individuals who serve as deacons in the early church. That's why I used it as the biblical foundation of my project. That's why I spent many, many hours studying that passage of Scripture and used it as a biblical foundation for my project. That, that passage in 1 Timothy 3 is the two base passages for my paper that I spent so many hours studying on. It's very clear that this passage points individuals who are servants in the church. But here's the thing. Here's what I am going to share with you. I also know that you can't be a servant and you can't be a deacon if you're not a Christian. Amen? The Christian comes first. The turning your life over to the Lord comes first. When you do that, then he uses you where he can, where you can serve, but it has to come first. And requirement of, of a servant of a church has to be exemplified in their lives before they're selected to serve. Now, the role of the deacon in the church is often misunderstood. Here's where we we get hung up with it sometimes. And I didn't come to Pine Hill or any other church to change the way deacons function in the church because sometimes it's misunderstood. And let me just share a few things with you. Many times it's related to the individual church's tradition of how they use deacons. And there's nothing wrong with tradition All right, because churches are autonomous, churches are self-governing. Churches can decide the roles and responsibilities of their pastor, their deacons, everybody that functions, their Sunday school teachers, because they're self-governing organization. A common question that I've heard throughout my affiliation with church is this simple one here: What do the deacons do? What do they do? You just have a bunch of deacons, or you have some people that, that fill that role? They sit on the front row, you know, when they're on the call. To the deacon on call, Tracy. <laughs> what do the deacons do? Huh? That's a question that I've often had to address and deal with. I've been associated with it. Many times the answer is they make all the decisions in the church. You ever heard that before? They run the church. They make all the decisions in the church. Because the church is autonomous and self-governing, the role of the deacon can be whatever function it desires. And so if the church chooses for the deacons to make all the decisions in church in itself, that's not wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong. But the New Testament church has a freedom and liberty to do just that. But the Bible goes much deeper. It goes much deeper in that with the roles and responsibilities of the deacon. Here's the thing. Scripture indicates that the deacon is a servant. In the church that 's what the scripture says He's serving in a servant in the church and subsequently charged with meeting the physical and spiritual needs of the church. Now, the role of the deacon is not a title given to an individual within the church; it is a responsibility given to that same individual in the church all right it 's not a title it 's a responsibility. so you might say here, well brother Carey, i 'm not going to be a deacon i don 't have a desire to be a deacon. I really don 't want the responsibility to go along with being a deacon so I'm not really sure how this message speaks to me this morning. And I want to ask you a couple questions. I want to ask you a couple questions, straightforward questions about your own life and your own ministry. Here's the other. Do you have a desire to be like Christ? Do you have a desire to walk in his footsteps? Do you have a desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a desire to know him better? Do you have a desire to spend eternity with him in heaven? Let me tell you something. Our Heavenly Father's desire is that for you to say yes to every single one of those questions. Amen? This is the desire. That's what we're talking about this evening. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. When I woke up Tuesday morning, my thought that kept running over and over in my head. When I got up Tuesday morning, the thought just kept going through my head. "Is I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I'm going tell you, that's the title of the message today. I got the title before I got the scripture. God just laid it on my heart. I want to be like Jesus in every action, every word, everything that I do, everything that I display. I want to be like Jesus, and that's my challenge to you. That's my challenge to you this morning. Our mission as Christians is to be like Jesus, and to be like Jesus, we need to strive to serve like Jesus, and uh, and to serve like Jesus, we need to strive to love like Jesus, the way that He loved people. We need to love His people the same way. When we serve the church as Christians striving to be like Jesus, the word of God will spread and disciples for Jesus Christ will increase significantly and disciples makers will increase as well because disciples become disciple makers who make disciples. Amen? Man, God loves us so much. It's amazing how much he loves us. I can't fathom the amount of love that God has for us. I mean, he loves us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for each of us. There was no reason for it other than the fact that he loved us so much. He sent Jesus Christ to die for us. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is what we're seeking. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. That's a gift of God. Man is a sinner. We're born with sinful nature. No way around it. Every single person but Jesus Christ is born with sinful nature. And there's only one way to gain access away from that sinful nature, and that's through Jesus Christ. Romans three twenty three says this: "All have sinned and come short of the glory of God." All of us increase the separation between us and God. He couldn't get to us because of sin. We couldn't get to Him. He had to create a solution. Which He created that solution before He ever created mankind. He knew what was going to happen before He ever created us. Isn't that amazing? Omnipotent God knew before he ever created us as people, as free-willed human beings, what was going to take place. And he had to come up with the solution at the same time that he was going to solve the problem of sin. The sin issue was going to be taken care of because he was going to uh, take care of it through Jesus Christ and give us the salvation that we have needed for an eternal life. Romans 10.13 says this, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It means anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't leave anybody out. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, I tell you this every week. When uh, our time on this earth is over, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. And eternity is too long to be wrong. We're either going to spend eternity in heaven with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and all those that have gone on before us that know the Lord, or we're gonna spend eternity separated from them in hell. And there's no life in hell, there's only life in heaven. Romans 10 9 says this If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God made it very simple. He said, All you gotta do is invite me in. If you invite me in, I'll come in and I'll live inside of your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll grow together. We'll, we'll, I'll walk with you every step of the way. I'll be there every ounce of the every every step that you take. I'll be there for you. This morning we're going to have the hymn of invitation. And if you don't know this Jesus I'm talking about, this would be a great day to come to know Him. Maybe there's others here that are in need of of prayer. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. Our deacons would love to pray with you. There's there's a lot of things going on in our life. There's a lot of struggle that takes place. Maybe you need someone to put their hands on you, and pray with you. This is this is. It's your time. You know, we, we, we use the invitation as a time of reflection and a time of uh, letting the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and a time for for uh, just just getting close to the Father. Whatever need is, let this time be for you. Father God, I come before you this morning. I'm just thanking you for who you are. And God, I just thank you for the power that's in your word. God, the fact that you loved us first. God, before we ever knew who you were, before we ever could have an opportunity to love you, you had already loved us. And God, you provided for us way more than we need. And God, I just pray if there's one person, the sound of my voice that does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that this day would be the day that they would come to know you. Father, for others in our congregation, God, for the struggles that we're dealing with, I just ask that the Holy Spirit would would place his power inside of us, is, and you would place your hands on on everyone here through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and let them fill your presence. God, for, for every single situation that we're dealing with, I just pray that, that your will would be done in our lives, and God, we would be in accordance to your word. These things I ask in your Son's precious and holy name, amen.